What's up, everybody? My name is Shane Kohler, and this is The Conscious Love Show. Thanks so much for joining me here, where each week I'm sharing true-to-life insights and experiences from my journey and how I've created the loving and committed partnership I have today. I answer your questions and have live discussions with you so I can support you in your specific situation. And I bring in experts and people who know their stuff so we can all learn from their perspectives. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you'd leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Living Relationship to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Conscious Love Show. Um, I'm excited to be back with you today. I've got some exciting things I want to speak about. And the topic for today uh, is vulnerability. And for those of you who follow the show or have listened to me in the past, you probably heard me speak about vulnerability. But, you know, what I, what I want to say about this, or at least where I want to start, is that we perceive vulnerability in our collective consciousness to be weak. And there, there's kind of a general assumption that emotionality is weak. Um, that, you know, to, to reveal what's going on for you under the surface, if you're not acting like you're totally cool, you don't care about anything, you have it all together, that you're perceived as weak. And that's, that's kind of where I want to start today because, you know, it's interesting. The only emotion that we don't perceive as weak is anger. And anger is the most I don't want to. I don't want to bash anger because anger has its place, and when it's there, it needs to be expressed in a healthy way. But anger is a pretty toxic emotion a lot of times, and the way it's used in the world, right? When it shows up in the workplace or when it shows up in relationships, like it's it's generally not processed in a healthy way. And yes, it's a valid emotion, and you know I, I'm very familiar with anger. It's probably my go-to emotion, right? So. So I, I get it and I understand it's valid and I understand it needs to be expressed. But what's interesting is that in our collective consciousness, it's the only emotion that's not perceived as weak. And it's also the, the only emotion that really, when expressed, often causes more harm than good. And, it, you know, it's a, it's a reflection of how we view ourselves. But I'm going to get into that. But I wanted to start with uh, a couple of things. You know, one thing I wanted to say is I recently started reading Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly. And um, we have the Inspired Love program coming up. I've, I've been talking about it. It opens for enrollment in January and we'll be taking uh, we'll be taking discovery calls to enroll people in the program. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm getting ready for the program. And, and there's a big module in the program on shame. And Brene Brown, for any of you who are familiar with her work, she's like the ultimate shame expert. She spent her whole life studying shame. And I read her first book, or I don't even know if it's her first book, but I read another one of her books, The Gifts of Imperfection, a long time ago. That was an amazing book, and I wanted to dive into Daring Greatly. It's been on my list for a long time. But this book is basically, uh, it's really, it's an amazing read so far. I'm only a few chapters in. But what she talks about in this book is how, like, Vulnerability is the gateway to everything we want to experience in life. You want more love, you've got to be more vulnerable. 
You want more intimacy, you've got to be more vulnerable. You want more connection, you've got to be more vulnerable. You want to be more alive, you want to be more expressed, you want to have more passion, you want to feel more confident, you want to feel better about yourself. Like, you've got to be more vulnerable. It's, It's literally the gateway to everything we want to experience in life. And we are completely adverse to it as a society. We're, we're completely adverse to vulnerability. And look, like, if, if you look at historically where we come from, okay, like, it, it wasn't that long ago, and I know this is probably morbid, I've shared things like this before, but it wasn't that long ago that we were, like, hacking each other to pieces with swords and axes and things. And, and even, you know, even now, we still have, like, massive wars being fought where where like, you know, violence is, is just a huge element in our world. And so it makes sense when we live in such a hostile world that vulnerability would, would feel weak or feel unsafe. And we've, we've kind of all been brought up in this world where force was strength. You know, the ability to make something happen, the ability to push your agenda, to push your way, to, to make people bend to your will. That's been what has been viewed as strength. And people who didn't assert that kind of strength were viewed as weak. But what we're finding as we, as we mature and as we evolve to a place where we realize that, you know, the, the kind of force or brute strength or making it happen approach is, you know, it may produce some desired results in the short term, but in the long term, everybody loses. It steals people's dignity. It makes you feel bad about yourself. Like just, you know, if we just uh, take, take a simple example here. You know, if you could make somebody love you, which is almost impossible, but there are certain manipulative tactics and things you can do and say that, you know, can trigger things in people and things like that. But, you know, if you could make somebody love you, like, let's just think about this for a moment. Let's say, let's say you were the master of making someone love you and you were able from a force or control or manipulation approach to be able to create that in anyone. And so you could go around and you could just make people fall in love with you. Well, you might think that, oh, well, that would be really great. Anybody I want, I could just make them fall in love with me and then I'd have anyone I want. And Well, you know, on the surface, that sounds like a good idea. But let's look underneath the surface. Let's look at what must be going on for you to even want to make somebody love you in the first place. And what must be going on for you is you don't think you're lovable. You see, because somebody who is lovable, somebody who gets that they are lovable, somebody who gets that they are worthy, somebody who gets that they are gifted and talented and beautiful and, you know, all the, all the great things that we all want to feel about ourselves, right? Somebody who gets that about themselves is not concerned with trying to make anybody love them. They are too busy expressing their greatness in the world. And the interesting thing about expressing greatness is some people are going to hate you for it. But if you feel unworthy and then you express some aspect of greatness and somebody hates you for it, then you go, oh my God, they hate me. I can't handle that. And so you start bending yourself to their will to try to get their approval. So this idea of making somebody love you or making things happen through force, 
is really a mask over unworthiness or what Brene Brown talks about in, in her book is, is it's a mask over shame. And I've, I've actually, I've spoken about this before. I actually, I did a podcast episode on shame. Those of you who have been following for a while, you probably heard it. Um, I think it was actually like episode three. So it was pretty early on, but you know, in that episode, and if you want, you can go back and listen to it. But I talk about how shame is kind of an underlying motivating factor in everything we do and all of our decision making and, and how we view ourselves, how we approach life, how we approach love. Shame is kind of an underlying motivating factor. And so what what we're all kind of doing, and, and I'm not going to get too far into the reasons behind it. I In, uh, in the podcast, I go into more detail uh, in the in the episode three that I was talking about, I go into more detail about where shame comes from, why we have it, why we're all on a very deep level kind of ashamed of ourselves. But you know, it, it's it stems really from growing up in this world. Like it, it stems from growing up in in this hostile, comparison driven, competition driven, trying to outdo the next person trying, you know, having our parents impose certain standards on us and, and all of it, right? So it, it gets deep when you really start to think about how shame is woven into our culture and how from a very young age, we're all kind of convinced that we're not enough and we need to be more than we are. But, but suffice it to say that we all kind of struggle with an underlying shame about ourselves. And vulnerability is the cure for that. Vulnerability is the... It's the solution. It's the solution to shame. It's the way to heal our shame. And so as long as we're living behind these masks where it's like, I'm not going to let you in to see me. I'm not going to reveal myself fully. I'm not going to expose myself fully. We, we kind of keep ourselves guarded and we, we play these surface level games where it's like, I'll share things, but I'll only share the things that I think are going to get your approval. Or I'll, I'll do things, but only, I'll only express or emote or, or do things to the degree that I feel like I remain in control of the situation, that I feel like I have the upper hand, or that I feel like I'm going to be able to manipulate some kind of result that I want. But it's not the same as just being me, fully and completely. And I wanted to share, um, it's funny, a, a, a friend of mine, he's actually, he was a... Uh, he was a teacher of mine for many years. He was a mentor. Um, I used to deliver these large seminar trainings that would go four or five days. And he was one of my mentors in that. So as I was learning how to deliver those trainings, he was one of my mentors. And he's also the person who introduced me to A Course in Miracles. So uh, for any of you who have, have listened and followed me, I, I often speak about A Course in Miracles. It's been, I say it's kind of like my Bible. It's like, it's kind of like my foundational life teaching. And he's the, he's the person who introduced me to this. And he posted something on Facebook the other day. And I remember when he, when I first heard him share this idea, it's from A Course in Miracles. And I remember when I first heard him share this idea, it, it, it changed everything for me. And it, it's a very profound idea. So I want to share the quote he shared. This is directly from A Course in Miracles. It says, only love is strong because it is undivided. The strong do not attack because they see no need to do so. Before the idea of attack can enter your mind, you must have perceived yourself as weak because you attacked yourself 
and believe the attack was effective, you behold yourself as weakened. No longer perceiving yourself as equal and regarding yourself as weaker, you attempt to equalize the situation you made. You use attack to do so because you believe that attack was successful in weakening you. Now, I, there, there's a lot in that. So I just want to break that down a little bit. But I actually, I read this last night. I was like, oh, it, it goes perfect with what we're talking about with vulnerability. And, and it's, it's, such a, it's such a deep principle what this quote is outlining here. So uh, only love is strong because it is undivided. Now, uh, you've often heard me speak about love. And, and I mean, obviously you've heard me speak about love, but you've often heard me speak about how love is the only energy that creates love, right? Love just creates more of itself. And so if you in every single situation, and I understand this is incredibly difficult to do because we have fear-based egos that tell us that love is not safe, tells us that vulnerability is not safe. But if in every situation you only operated from love, and I've, I've said this many times, if in every situation you only operated from love, everything in your life and in your space that is not love would vibrate out of your existence and everything that is love or is reflective of love would move into your existence. And the only thing that we really need to do is root out everything inside of ourselves that is not love so we just consistently embody love. And when we do that in every time, in everything, in all situations, everything that's not love will vibrate out of our lives and everything that is love will come into our lives. Now, there's a lot of nuance in that, I understand, because a lot of times we think we're being loving and we're actually acting from fear, but that, that's a little bit different topic, so I'm not going to get into that. But there's a lot of nuance in that. I want to acknowledge that. But the quote says, only love is strong because it is undivided. So you've got to think about Whenever you are operating from something other than love, you are basically fragmenting yourself. You're, you're breaking apart yourself. You're breaking apart your wholeness. And instead of being the whole undivided, complete version of you, you're revealing this part here and that part there. And, and you're kind of fragmenting yourself into these different parts and you're losing your power. You're, you're, you're giving your power away to other people, other situations, whether it's for approval or acceptance or control or manipulation, but whatever it is, you're fragmenting yourself and you're giving away your power. Now, it says the strong do not attack because they do not perceive the need to do so. But before the idea of attack can enter your mind, you must perceive yourself as weak. Now, this is going back into shame what I was talking about earlier. This idea of seeing myself as weak and before I could ever attack someone else or something else, I would first have to perceive a weakness in myself because that is the only motivation that would justify an attack. Now, I want everybody to hear this because you might say, well, how does this, what does this have to do with vulnerability? Well, defensiveness is an attack on yourself. And this is how it all ties together. The moment you feel the need to protect yourself, to defend yourself, to present some version of yourself that is less than the full reality of who you are, to, to tone down any, like the, the moment you start 
adjusting yourself or protecting yourself in any kind of way, you are perceiving yourself as weak. And that is an attack on yourself, which then causes you to want to attack others. Whether you accuse them of being a narcissist or whether you, or whether you start judging them for things they said or things they did or, or like whatever it is. I mean, these are all forms of attack, right? The different ways we judge people, the different ways that we protect ourselves against people, the different ways that we limit vulnerability, the different ways that we manipulate situations, the different ways that we withhold our truth to try to get some kind of result. These are all different versions of the defend attack paradox that are all stemming from viewing myself as weak, seeing shame within myself, seeing myself as shameful and wanting to mitigate that. And so only love is strong and the strong do not attack because they don't feel any need to. But the strong also don't defend because they also don't see any need to. Um, in the book I was talking about earlier, Daring Greatly, Brene Brown, she, she defines vulnerability as the willingness to be open to attack. The willingness to open yourself to harm or hurt or pain. And the... The limiting belief that we all kind of live with is that we are not enough. I mean, and, and this not enoughness is projected onto everything, but it's that we are not enough to handle pain. We are not enough to handle our own sadness, our own disappointment, our own heartache. And so we're always trying to mitigate against it. We're always trying to tweak or twist situations or skew situations in a way that are going to make them less painful for ourselves, that are going to make them more acceptable to our egos. And the, the problem with that is, one, it doesn't work, okay? Because we, we do all these things to try to mitigate the pain, to make it less painful, to make it hurt less. But all we do is create more pain for ourselves, right? So let's say, I'll give an example here. Let's say you're dating someone and you really like them and you really hope it's going to go somewhere, but all of a sudden things start showing up that are not representative of your ideal in a relationship. You know, maybe they say things or do things or the way they behave or, I mean, you could fill in the blank here with your own personal experiences, right? But things begin to emerge in this relationship that are not reflective of what you want. And you say, well, maybe I should talk to them about it. Maybe I should bring it up. Maybe I should express how I feel about this and, and see if, you know, we could create something different here, right? So there, there, there's an idea about doing something about it, expressing about it, being authentic, being vulnerable, opening yourself to that rejection, right? What if I, what if I bring it up and they say, screw you, that's your problem, I don't care right? Then I have to deal with that. Well, that would really hurt, right? This person that I'm falling for, that I'm investing in, that I'm, you know, however you want to frame that, right? But, but now they tell me they don't care. They're not willing to work on this with me. How I feel about it doesn't matter to them. That hurts, right? That's vulnerable. So instead of exposing myself to that vulnerability, what might I do? Well, you know what we do. 
Let me not bring it up. Let me just act like it's cool. It's not that big of a deal. Maybe I'm overreacting. You know, we, we often gaslight ourselves in these situations. And then we wonder why we get gaslighted by other people. We wonder why we get manipulated by other people. Well, you're, manipul you're manipulating yourself, right? You're not, you're not being connected to your truth and your reality. You're gaslighting yourself. You're talking yourself out of your truth. And if that's the context in which that you're embodying, then it's perfectly congruent that it would be happening outside of you as well, right? These are the subtleties we've got to start to acknowledge. What usually happens is we just get mad at the other person for being a narcissist or whatever we, whatever we call them for gaslighting or manipulating us without, without acknowledging that we were doing it to ourselves to begin with. So the willingness to bring it up is very vulnerable. And when you avoid that uncomfortability, when you avoid that vulnerability, you lock yourself into this relationship, right? Which maybe if you had talked about it, you could have created a new possibility. But since you didn't talk about it, the, the behavior, the whatever it was, it continues. You get more of it. And then what happens? Well, then, then the relationship becomes more painful. The behaviors become more exacerbated and the suffering becomes more intense. And your attempt to try to protect yourself from the pain has created more pain and more suffering for you. You know, if you had had the courage to face up to possibly that rejection, possibly that being treated like you don't matter, like you're not important, you know, that would have hurt. You, there would have been some suffering around that. But what would have happened next is you would have gotten clear that this wasn't the right relationship for me. You would have had to leave it, which probably also would have hurt but you would have healed, you would have made it through that and you would have opened yourself up to more. You would have opened yourself up to more in life, but not only would you have opened yourself up to more, you would have become available for more. And this is important because you would have worked through the fearful stuff that was keeping you locked in to a toxic situation. And because you worked through that, some of you may have heard, you know, in life, you keep getting presented the lesson until you learn it. I, I firmly, firmly believe that everything I've experienced in life has been reflective of that. And I, I firmly, firmly believe that in life, you keep getting handed lessons until you learn them. And so in the example I was just speaking about, you could have... Uh, you could have learned the lesson. You could have elevated yourself or evolved yourself into a greater possibility of who you could be. And therefore, you could attract more love, more abundance, more connection, more of the kinds of people that you want to in your life. But by, by not having the courage to face that vulnerability, to face that discomfort, to face that rejection. You lock yourself into the same types of situations that become more and more painful over time. Like the thing is that relationship was going to fail one way or the other. If, if, if that person was not the person that was going to love you and treat you right and honor you, if they were not that person, the relationship was going to fail no matter what. The question is, does it fail 
a, a month in or a couple months in, or does it fail a year in or a few years in or 10, 20 years in? I mean, I've, I've had many people, clients that have come to me and, 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 and they've, they've come in a post 10 year, 15 year, 20 year divorce in a relationship that they possibly could have, if they had been connected to themselves, if they had been honoring themselves in the beginning, maybe they never needed to marry that person in the first place. And, and this is reality. This is, this is the reality of our experience. But the, the unwillingness to be vulnerable is what locks us into these toxic situations. And then we stay stuck for years. Some of us. Some of us stay stuck for shorter amounts of time. But, but the truth is still the same. The truth is that vulnerability is the gateway. It's the key to everything you really want in life. Everything you really desire, everything you dream about, vulnerability is the way to get there. And it requires, like, uh, like Brene Brown says in the book, it requires opening yourself up to pain, opening yourself up to hurt, opening yourself up to suffering. And the willingness to explore your own pain, your own hurt, your own suffering, rather than trying to protect yourself from it and avoid it, it's your willingness to dive into it and to be with it. And something really magical happens when you develop the courage to be vulnerable and to face these fears. The, the magical thing that happens is that you realize you are untouchable. You realize that you, you can't be broken. You realize that no matter what kind of pain you've experienced, what kind of grief you've had in your life, whatever relationships you've had to let go of, whatever sufferings you've had to experience, you realize that it only really made you more capable you know, it's like, it, it's such a cliche quote. And I don't even love the quote, like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, and, you know, I don't even, I don't even know if the word stronger is the right word, but maybe what doesn't kill you makes you deeper. What doesn't kill you makes you more available to life and to love and to, and to all the yummy, juicy things we want to experience, right? There's a, there's a way of having your heart break open through your willingness to confront your uncomfortability. And believe me, I'm not a fan of needless suffering. And I've said this before, we've got to be willing to confront our pain, but I'm not about like wallowing in your pain. It's not about wallowing. It's not about needless, constant, endless suffering, but it's about when life presents it. You know, when a relationship presents you with the opportunity to honor yourself and leave the relationship or dishonor yourself and stay in the relationship, choose to honor yourself. Stop avoiding the pain, right? I'm not saying go out of your way to, to find the pain. I remember, it's funny, I remember um, my old roommate, his name's Eric, and he was kind of like a little guru, this guy. He, uh, you know, he, he was just a spiritual giant. And um, I remember he and I were having this conversation. This is when I, we were in our like early 20s, maybe 23, something like this. But we were having this conversation about how suffering is like, is like the gateway to growth. And I remember, I remember like going in my room that night 
and being like, I just want to get it all out. Like, let me just suffer through it. And I just want to get, you know, in my mind, I thought I could experience it all at once. I didn't realize that if I did actually experience all at once, it probably would kill me (laughs) because that's how deep it goes. And like we, I think a lot of us don't realize how deep this stuff goes. But I I remember talking to Eric after that and being like, you know, I I tried to go experience all of it and I just, I couldn't get it to come up. And, and what, uh, what Eric said was, was he was like, you know, I I think life is going to bring the opportunities for us to suffer and we don't have to go out of our way to find it. We don't, we don't have to go out of our way to try to suffer. We've just got to be willing to be there when it shows up. And be there with it while it's there for as long as it's there and not try to avoid it. You see, it will pass on its own when we're not repressing it, when we're willing to be with it. And this is something I've spoken about many times of being willing to strengthen our emotional core, being willing to be able to hold these difficult emotions and not try to run from them. And I think even more importantly, because maybe not more importantly, but equally importantly, not run from the situations that are going to activate them. Because we've got to recognize these things are being activated in order to be healed. The pain and the suffering is being activated in order to be healed. Because let's go back to where I started. I started by talking about shame and talking about how the reason we're not vulnerable is because we're ashamed. And when I see, if I go out on a date and, and I'm like, ooh, and, and maybe it's on a date with this really hot, sexy person who is really smart and successful and capable and, and you know, being around somebody like that maybe makes me feel like I'm not quite enough for them, right? This is how I felt when I met my wife, okay? I was like, wow, this is a really amazing woman and like, I don't know if I'm enough for her, right? That was my shame talking. There, there was nothing in me that was not enough for her. I was enough, but that was my shame speaking. That was my own unhealed stuff talking, right? So when we go out, we meet a really amazing person and we're like, oh my, like being around that person makes us feel a little uncomfortable. That's because we're ashamed of ourselves, it's, and, and what I want to say is it's not true. The shame actually isn't real. I say this in inspired love. We do a module on shame. And what I say is shame is like this, this mysterious thing that is hidden under a rock in the deep recesses of our consciousness. And our egos have put an army around that rock. And, and it's like, it's like highly guarded. And the ego says, never overturn that rock. Right. At all costs, it's like, it it says in A Course in Miracles, something to the effect of like, if you overturn that rock, you believe that you will shriek in terror and you will die. It's, the course is kind of dramatic sometimes, but, but it's, but I think the emotional experience of that is that, right? It's like we hide our shame deep within our mind and we heavily guard it and we say, under no conditions, look under that rock. And then when we're, you know, on a date with a really hot, sexy, successful person that we really want to impress and we really want them to like us, what we do is we only reveal what we think that person is going to like rather than just showing up as ourselves. Because if we were to make a, 
make a comment that wasn't real well received or make a joke or cross a line or, or do something in which that person would be turned off. And we would experience the rejection of that person. What we feel in that moment is that our shame is being activated. We are feeling the shame that we try to hide from all the time. The shame that we keep locked in that deep corner of our mind. We feel it being activated now in relationship with this person. And we see in the eyes of that person when they reject us or when they give us a funny look or when they they say they don't want anything to do with us. We see reflected in their eyes everything that we hate about ourselves and everything that we try to hide from. Everything that we try to pretend every day is not there. And when we reveal ourselves and we're vulnerable and we experience a rejection in the face of that vulnerability, our shame is activated. And that's something that is, is just a painful experience. It's, it's, a, it's a painful experience. It's a scary experience. It touches on our deepest fear which is that we don't matter at all, that our life will come and go and that it will have not meant anything, that we will have not mattered to anybody, that we will have never been loved, that we will have never been important, that we will have never done anything significant. Like this is really, I think, the deepest fear of a human being. And the shame is basically the idea that that fear is true. And what I say in the program, this is what I started to say earlier, is, is, you know, in Inspired Love, when we talk about shame, what I say is that when you finally do overturn that rock, you look and you see there's nothing under it, that it was all a hype. It was all a sham the whole time. It was all a story that was running in your unconscious that didn't mean anything, that had no real validity or real backing. But the only way you overturn that stone is through vulnerability. The only way you overturn that stone is by exposing yourself, opening yourself up to pain, like she says in the book, right? It's opening yourself up for attack, opening yourself up for pain, opening yourself up for that rejection, opening yourself up to be hurt. And then if it happens, and it will not always happen, and that's That's the real gift of vulnerability is when you're vulnerable and you're well-received and that's where the healing happens, right? Well, actually I'd say the healing happens in both sides, right? On the side where we get rejected and that shame is activated and we feel the pain of that. Well, then that's where we have the opportunity to go deep within our own hearts and find the place within us that is not rejectable. I I speak about it like finding a safe home inside yourself, a place where no matter what happens in the outside world, no matter who you get rejected by, no matter who you get let down by, no matter who disappoints you, no matter how alone or empty you might feel at times, you have a safe place inside where you can always find and experience your wholeness. And that's the gift of rejection or of disappointment or of being let down or of going through some kind of narcissistic abuse situation is it forces you to go back into yourself and find the place inside of you that is untouched by all of that. And 
those who have the willingness to explore their own pain that way will go beneath your shame, beneath all the ideas about how you weren't enough or what was wrong with you or, or how you weren't lovable or, or whatever frame you want to put on it. But you'll go below all of these ideas and you'll find what is within you that is deeper than all of that. So that's the gift of rejection and disappointment and being let down and being hurt. The gift of, I'll call it being validated and not in, not in an unhealthy way, right? So there's, there's the kind of validation where we all try to perform and try to, you know, give people what we think they want and get validated by it. But that's, that's not the kind of validation I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you are vulnerable, when you open yourself up for that rejection, that hurt, that attack, that wounding. But instead of being wounded, you are loved. And this is something that my wife and I, you know, early on in our relationship, we talked a lot about how much healing was happening with us because we were, we were becoming more and more vulnerable with each other. And every new level of vulnerability that we touched on, we were received in love. We were accepted. And so all the things that, you know, our parents rejected us for, or, you know, all the past lovers, or, you know, all the times that we were told we weren't enough, or all the, all the different things that happened in our lives that reinforced that shame. Well, what we realized was within our relationship, as we opened up to each other more and more and more, and we revealed more and more of ourselves to each other, and we were received, we realized that it was healing that. It was actually affirming that we were not shameful. And I'll just share this, like, you know, and, and this is probably true of most relationships. It was definitely true. Um, it definitely is true in, in mine with my wife, is that as vulnerable as we were becoming early on, there... I mean, there's a level of vulnerability that we're at now that, I, I mean, it makes, it makes where we were in the beginning look like child's play. I mean, it looks, looks like nothing. And like, like I'll, I'll share that, especially with my wife going through cancer treatment, which is something I've shared quite a bit about. And, you know, that was something that caused immense suffering for both of us. And, you know, in some ways brought out the best in both of us and in other ways brought out the worst in both of us. And the level at which we got to know each other through that experience, and it, and it was kind of like life itself forced a level of vulnerability where, you know, even six years into our relationship, all the masks that we were still wearing just fell off because they were forced to, like, it was just like we couldn't keep them on under those conditions. And that is, again, very, very healing. And, you know, we both could have at that level seen, and actually it's, it's something that my wife and I um, came to be aware of as she went through her cancer treatment, is that a lot of long-term relationships break up during, uh, during cancer treatment and, and I believe this is the reason why is because the level of vulnerability that these couples are forced into 
is just too intense for them to handle. And they just, they fall apart. They just, they can't take it. And, and like, it and my wife and I are, are people that I think we're conscious. We've done a lot of work. We've done a lot of work in our relationship. We, we had a very vulnerable, connected relationship before this. And, and it even challenged us into levels that like we had never gone before. And so I can understand why relationships break up when forced into a situation like this. Um, And I think it it happens, you know, with with something like cancer treatment. It it could happen with any other life-changing thing that just kind of forces you to take the masks off. But, you know, the result of that, and, you know, I'm I'm kind of sharing the, quote, negative side of it, but the, the other side of it is like our relationship is deeper than ever before. So it's... Yeah, it's, it's, uh, vulnerability is the gateway. It's the key. And so like, let's talk about what vulnerability looks like. Um, you know, just in in practical terms, in practical terms, as you're, as you're going about doing your, doing your thing, right? Dating, or, or if you're maybe in a new relationship or even in a longer term relationship, what does vulnerability look like? You know, it's, it's not, and, and Brene Brown actually talks about this in the book. Brene, uh, uh, not Brene Brown. Vulnerability is not, um, it's not just letting it all hang out, being ridiculous or giving people TMI or, you know, it's actually, she talks about it in the book that um, the the whole TMI thing, the, the too much information, it is actually a way of avoiding vulnerability, right? Because what we do is, it's like, it's like the opposite extreme. Instead of withholding, we, we go over the top, right? So instead of being less of ourselves, we become more of ourselves, but, but to an extent that's like, not authentic, right? So it's not, it's not even who we really are because vulnerability usually doesn't show up in a really outrageous, over the top, look at me, look at what I'm doing kind of way. Vulnerability is generally expressed in a kind of heartfelt, intimate, soulful type experience. And so if you think about it like that, you know, vulnerability looks like taking a risk beyond where you would normally go. I've said, if you're on a date with someone, maybe it's a first date or maybe it's first few dates, but somebody you're getting to know and you like them and you want to impress them and you want them to like you, vulnerability would look like saying something you want to say, even if you don't know how they're going to receive it. And not like, again, not an over the top thing or not a shock value statement kind of thing, or, or let me get some kind of reaction out of you. It's not about that, but it's about, you know, I just want to share this. Maybe it's something about your past. Maybe it's something about a past relationship, or maybe it's a fear you have, or, or maybe it's something vulnerable about where you are in your life right now. That's not going to make you look like you have it all together or, you know, but vulnerability would look like that, like the willingness to reveal. 
Um, I shared earlier about the, the trainings I used to deliver, the, the, the uh, weekend seminars, and I was sharing about my mentor and, and the quote that he posted on Facebook. But something we used to say in those trainings is that um, in the world, the commitment is to conceal, right? In the world, the way we, the way we all kind of operate with each other is we all live behind our masks and, and we basically say, I'll buy your bullshit if you buy my bullshit. And we'll just call that a friendship. We'll call that a relationship. And we'll just, we'll smile at each other's masks and we'll pretend like they're not there. And as long as you do that for me and I do that for you, we both feel safe and everything's good, right? And in the training, we would say that the, the commitment in the world is to conceal, but the commitment in the training is to reveal, right? So I, I would say that for dating, or for love or for relationships, right? The commitment in the world is to conceal, but the commitment in love is to reveal. The commitment in love is let me show you myself. And it's not like on a first date, I'm gonna show up and tell you everything I'm ashamed of and every negative thing about myself and I'm just gonna, you know, (laughs) like, I mean, it would be kind of ridiculous to paint yourself in a horrible light in front of someone on a first date. Like there would be no reason to do that. That's not vulnerability. That would actually be driving someone out of your life and that would probably feel safe for you to some degree, right? If I can, if I can just get you out of my life right now, then I'll feel safe because at least I don't have to be in this uncomfortable situation, right? So that would not be vulnerable. But vulnerability is revealing in the right moment, in the right time, in the right place, when it comes up for you authentically, when it comes up for you sincerely. So if you're on a date with someone and you're in conversation and and there's something that you say, you know, I want to share this, but I don't know how they're going to receive it. They might judge me for it. We'll share it anyway, right? You're not sharing everything that's ever happened in your whole life, but you're sharing this one thing. And, and it's also not just in what you share, but it's in how you share it. Do you share it like, oh yeah, I did that thing once, blah, 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 like, you, like, like you've got it all together? Or do you share it in an intimate way? Like, you know, like one time this happened for me and it was really scary and I didn't know how I was going to feel about it or, you know, right? Like, do you share it in an intimate way? Do you let that person see something other than your act? Do you let that person see a part of you that not everybody gets to see day in and day out? That's vulnerability. Vulnerability could be creating a boundary, right? Where, you know, there's, there's something that's been happening in this relationship that is, that is uncomfortable for me, right? There's something happening in this relationship that I don't feel quite right about. Do, am I willing to risk communicating that to the person and taking that step? And, and maybe they say, if you're going to be like this, then I don't want to be with you. And and there's a risk involved, right? So am I willing to take that risk? Am I willing to honor myself at the risk of losing that person? That's vulnerable. Sharing how you feel about somebody, you know, it was... It was a commitment for me when I was dating 
And I, I, I recommend this for everybody. doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. When you feel something for someone, tell them. And, you know, there's, there's a needy way of telling them, which actually is, it is vulnerable, even when you do it in a needy way, because it's not comfortable and it is scary. But there's a needy way of telling someone where it's like, oh my God, I like you so much. And, and I really hope, you know, like there's, there's a needy way of doing it. But then there's a, an empowered way of doing it where it's like, I just want you to know that I'm feeling something here. And you could even say, and I just want to know if you feel the same, right? That's a very vulnerable place to stand, very vulnerable place to come from and scary. They may not feel the same way. Or they may say something like, well, I don't know. It's a little bit soon to talk about something like that. Why don't we just, uh, you know? But when I was dating, it was a commitment of mine that when I felt something, I would tell them. And I would just see how they responded. And, you know, one of the biggest ways we, evo we avoid vulnerability, and I've spoken about this many times, is that we, we avoid vulnerability by trying to maintain the upper hand with someone. And I say, you know, going back to the quote I shared earlier, only love is strong because it is undivided, right? And the strong do not attack because they see no need to do so. They don't attack and they also don't defend because defense is just another form of attack. Defense and attack are two sides of the same coin, right? But love does not see the need to defend and love does not see the need to attack. Love is just love. So if I'm coming from love, I'll give you the upper hand. And you know, it's actually, it's such a powerful thing to do when you're dating someone to give away the upper hand because what that's going to do is it's going to reveal the other person. And I've said this many times, but for anybody who hasn't heard it, I want you to hear it now. When you give away the upper hand, you have the opportunity to see if this person holds it, holds what you've just given them with respect and with sacredness? Or do they take it like another, like another boost for their ego? Do they take it like another, like, oh, okay, I got you now. Because if they do, now you see who they are. Now you see what you can expect from them. And if you're coming from love, if you're operating from love, you don't need to attack them. You see what the ego does is, oh my God, they're such a jerk. Like I gave away the upper hand and you wouldn't believe what they did. Like what an asshole, right? Like that's what the ego does because the ego feels weak. The ego feels, I don't want to say vulnerable, but vulnerable in a bad way, right? Like the ego feels like there's something inside of it that can actually be hurt. And it's always trying to protect against that. But love is like, yeah, you can have the upper hand. Here, take it. Totally. You, you have it. You do what you want with it. Right? And then, and then if that person does not receive it in love, then love is like, oh, well, I don't, I'm not really feeling good about this relationship anymore. I just, I, I feel like I just need to kind of distance myself here. I'm feeling like maybe this isn't the person for me. You know, and it's, it's not even like, 
oh, well, they're definitely not the person. Rah, rah, rah. Right? It's, it's not like that. It's like, huh, I didn't expect them to receive it that way. Well, you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't, I'm just feeling like maybe I need a little distance here. And then the distance will reveal something more. You know, it, it's, it's funny, like, there's a, when you live from love and when you live from open-hearted vulnerability and when you date this way or when you engage in relationship this way, you actually master the push-pull dynamic without even trying. It's, it's really a funny thing. You see, love does so naturally and so powerfully what we can't replicate on our best day when we try to do it through our ego. You know, it's like, oh, I'm not going to text them for all day and then I'm going to wait for them to text me. And then you sit there in like anxiety and you suffer all day. Because you're not coming from love. You're not being loving about it. But if you were coming from love, it's like, you know, I, I sent this person a couple of messages. They haven't responded. That doesn't feel very good for me. Like, I'm just, I'm going to give them some space. You know, maybe, maybe they need some time to think things over. Maybe they're just busy. But, you know, I'm just going to give them some space. I'm just going to focus on things that make me feel good. Right? And, and without even trying to. You are being a master of that push-pull dynamic. And then they will come to you in their own time. You know, it's like we try to do this through our egos and we fail miserably. And we just become a neurotic mess trying to control, manipulate, make it happen. What do I have to say? What do I have to do? How do I get them to like me? You know, and, and we just become a mess. And, and it doesn't work. Like, that's the thing. It, it doesn't work. It never works. We end up alone every time. But coming from love, coming from honoring yourself, honoring everyone else, right? You know, it, it, it doesn't matter if they're a narcissist. It, it, like, it, it really doesn't. Like, if they want to be a narcissist, let them be a narcissist. Just figure out how you feel about them. And not in a needy way of like, I need them to like me. How do I feel? I feel like I need them to like me. Ah, let me get them to like me. Not that kind of how do I feel. Do they make me feel safe? They make me feel loved. Do I feel good about myself when I'm with them? Or do they constantly make me feel like I need to be more than I am? I need to be more than myself. I need to be better than I am. I need, to, I need to perform somehow. I need to strive harder. They make me feel like that. Do they, do they create this kind of tension and anxiety inside of me that makes me feel unworthy? Or do I feel safe? Do I feel whole? Do I feel seen? And the thing is, you don't need to worry about if they're a narcissist or not. You don't need to worry about if they're trying to manipulate you or not. You don't, need to, you don't need to give that any amount of thought. Just put your attention on embodying love in every moment, expressing yourself authentically, vulnerably. When you are hurt, because pain is a part of this, when you are hurt, instead of reaching out to that person or some kind of external situation to make you feel better, 
go inside yourself and love yourself through that pain. And going back to what I was saying earlier is, is every time your shame is activated and you have the, the willingness to go in and confront it rather than going outside and avoiding it, that's when, that's when you'll realize that there's nothing underneath that stone because you'll, you'll feel the pain, you'll feel the sadness, you'll feel the heartbreak. And then you'll go deeper and you'll go deeper and you'll go deeper and it, and it'll move through you like energy and it'll release and it will, you know, and, and maybe therapy could be helpful with this, right? I'm, I'm, you know, there, there are different methods of this and I'm not talking about methods right now, but, but you will eventually find that underneath all that pain and all that not enough and all of that, do I, do I not matter to anyone? Do I not mean anything? Is my life completely pointless? And, and underneath all of that, you will realize there's just the pure existence of who you are. And that is beautiful in every single person. And the only thing that makes somebody ugly is when that is so covered up that their beauty can't shine through. When they are so much in their shame and in their fear that their beauty cannot shine through. In the book, Daring Greatly, I know I keep referencing it because I've just, I've, I've only read a few chapters. I've just enjoyed it so much. Um, but in, in the book, Daring Greatly, she has a whole chapter on narcissism. And she talks about how our society is, is like designed to create narcissists because, because of the constant amount of being fed that we're not enough. And, and all of us like feeling this deep sense of shame and then feeling like we need to exacerbate our egos and, and create these grandiose self images in order to overcome this deep feeling of shame inside of us. And that's just, it, it, it's the, the narcissism is created by avoiding shame to such a degree that we're like not willing to go there at all. And so we create these overinflated self images in which we're the center of the universe. And, and, you know, we have to boost ourselves up to, to, uh, to overcompensate for this like deep feeling of shame. And so that's, that's the far extreme in that direction. But if you go in the other direction and you dive into the shame and you stop trying to hide from it and you just, you're willing to get underneath it, you realize that all it was was some bad feelings, some bad feelings that were generated by some bad ideas that you got. You know, when you were little, you were compared to the other kids in school <clears throat> or the, the boy or girl you liked went, you know, decided to be boyfriend, girlfriend with your best friend instead, or, or whatever, whatever the scenarios are, right? Like I remember, I remember like one of probably the situations that created so many limiting beliefs in me is when I was in seventh grade and there was this girl, her name was Hannah. And, um, and she, like, I, I was just straight up head over heels in love with her. And, 
you know, at times I thought she was for me too. But, you know, we would have like these really deep, intimate moments together. And I would just be like in love. And then next week she would dump me and go out with my best friend. And then that would happen for a little bit. And then she would want me back. And then, and she kept hopping back and forth between us. And and I remember like how much this screwed me up in terms of like thinking I was desired by girls or, or, you know, as when I got older women, like, you know, I, I, I developed a lot of limiting beliefs from this whole dynamic that went on. It actually, it went on for two years. It was sixth grade and seventh grade. And again, like these are, these are childish relationships. Like these aren't, you know, we weren't, we weren't dating or anything like that, but you know, you might, you might say that like, well, it, it's such a, it's just a little kid relationship. What, what does that have to do with anything? Well, you've got to understand these are the years when we're, developing the image of who we are. These are the years when we're developing the idea of how we see ourselves. And there are several phases, you know, like the, the first phase happens like in the first seven years of life when we develop like our core self image. And that's always interwoven with a lot of shame because of the world we grew up in, which was, which is a very toxic world. And our parents grew up in a very toxic world and, and that spills down into us. So we all develop a lot of shame in very early childhood. But then I, I think a next level of when we develop our, our self-image is in those adolescent years. When we first start, you know, uh, having boyfriends and girlfriends and we, we consider being, you know, attractive to someone in that way or being desired in that way. And it starts in like middle school and it goes, you know, in, into high school. And, you know, there's, there's so much competition around it, around being the popular one or not being the popular one, you know, being the homecoming king or queen or, or being the football player or the cheerleader. You know, there's, there's so much competition around it. And so much of this shapes how we see ourselves. And then when we turn 18, we're kind of thrust into adult life. And this is what we're left with. Right. It's I mean, if you think about how it all works, it's it's not surprising that we all have so much shame. Someone talks about being bullied at school for for being ugly. Right. I see the I see the comment here. Yeah. So that's I mean, and and then you say I have a problem with self-worth. Of course you do. Of course you do. It's perfectly congruent to where you came from. And, And what I want what I want everybody to realize is we all have our version of that. You know, even if you were the football player or the cheerleader, you were compared to the other football players and the other cheerleaders. You know, even if you were the prom king or the prom queen, you were competing for that with the other people and you didn't probably win both years, right? So it's, it it doesn't matter who you are or at what stage of the game you were participating. It's the context in which we're all brought up in of competition and comparison. And, you know, you want me one day, you want the next person the next day. And all of this shapes the way in which we view ourselves. And then at 18 years old, we're thrust into adult life. And what you have is what you have. And, and now you've got to, now you've got to go do it. You know, it's funny, like, I'll actually share this because this is a trend I've noticed. It's not the absolute truth by any means, but it is a trend. A lot of the people who were the popular ones in 
in uh, like high school or, or, you know, in, in that kind of age end up often. And again, I don't, I don't want to offend anybody by saying this. I don't want to make this an absolute truth by any means, but often they end up doing less in their adult lives than the people who were bullied or the people who were mistreated or the people who were, you know, not accepted or not popular. And the reason is, is because we all kind of have that core shame, right? It's all, it's all put into us from a very young age. But then those of us who at, at older ages in our adolescent or in our teenage years are not forced to confront or deal with that shame, right? Whereas if we're the popular ones or we're the, we're the football player, cheerleader, whatever you want to call it, right? But, but those of us who were not forced to deal with that during those years never learned to deal with it. And so it becomes a bigger obstacle later in life when it doesn't matter if you were the football player, cheerleader, you know, uh, whatever other success model there is in high school, right? The real world doesn't give a fuck about that. And so when you get out into the real world, you're going to have to confront your shame. And the people who were maybe bullied or who were the geeks or the nerds or the losers or whatever, whatever label you want to put on it, right? But, but those people had to deal with their shame in high school. And because of that, they're actually a lot more equipped for the real world. But that's kind of a different topic. I want to, I want to get back on topic here is, is that, you know, we all carry this shame. We all carry this sense of not being enough. And the, the way to, the way to work through it is to be vulnerable. And I want to take as many questions as I can get. I have maybe about 15 minutes to take questions. Um, So go ahead. I did see a question earlier. Um, Somebody said, what if they make you feel that way? I was, I I was speaking about that when you're in a, in a relationship with someone and you know, there's, there's the pain of, of being vulnerable and being rejected or, or of not being received by them. And somebody has to comment, well, what if they make you feel that way? And I, I wanted to start with addressing this question, and then I see a couple other questions that uh, that are here, so I'll definitely um, get to a couple more as well today. Um, but I want to start by addressing this question. You know, what if they make you feel that way? What I want to say about this is, and this is this is a tough lesson, I know, but people don't make us feel any kind of way. We feel things based on our own beliefs and based on the the decisions we make, right? So I understand if you put yourself in a really toxic relationship and you, you are constantly subjected to toxic behavior, being disregarded, being invalidated, being made unimportant, like those kinds of things, right? I understand you are going to have some feelings about that. And it's very seductive to believe that the other person is making you feel that way. So I want to break this down because one, they're not doing it to you. You put yourself in the relationship. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that whatever they are doing or saying to make you feel that is 
It could only have an effect on you if it is resonating with something that is already alive inside of you. So if I, if I call you a purple cat, do you get offended by that? No. You might think it's a weird thing to say. You know, you might think it's a, you might think it's a strange comment to make, but you don't get offended by me calling you a purple cat. Why? Because there's nothing inside of you that says I'm a purple cat. So it's easily disregarded as a, as a crazy comment. But when somebody says you're a loser and there's something inside of you that already believes or holds to I'm a loser, what they're doing is they're activating that wound and it's being brought up. It's being surfaced. Now, a lot of the reason that we end up in relationships with people who wound us is because we are vibrationally attracting slash creating. Those are kind of two ways of saying the same thing. We are attracting slash creating a situation that is reflective of, of what we believe about ourselves, right? I always say you could only remain in a, in a, toxic relationship. And like, let me preface this by saying that all relationships have some degree of toxicity because all people have some degree of toxicity. But I think the metric is, do we come back to a place of compassion, empathy, understanding, and mutual support, even when those pockets of toxicity show up? Or is there always a desire to blame the other person, put it back on them, make it their fault, and, and there's never an, an empathetic connection between the people, right? I, I think that really makes the difference between a toxic relationship and a not toxic relationship. But the reason that we would stay in a toxic relationship, now anybody might end up in one for a number of reasons, but the reason we would stay in one is because that relationship is vibrationally reflective of how we feel about ourselves. So as long as I'm maintaining a certain vibration that is strongly centered around shame, that's strongly centered around guilt, that's strongly centered around sadness, as long as I'm maintaining a vibration, which is also an identity, which is also a worldview, which is also a predominant emotional state. And as long as I'm maintaining that, the only kinds of relationships I'll be able to experience are relationships that are vibrationally reflective of that. And this is why I say people don't make us feel things. Like 100% of your life experience is being created by you. By your creative essence, you are manifesting your life experience from everything you think to everything you feel to everything you do to everything you say to everything that shows up around you externally. It is being manifested from your very being, from the predominant emotions that you embody, from the predominant thoughts and perspectives that you carry in your mind, from the way that you see yourself, from your willingness to be vulnerable or not. 
and, and I think to tie it all together here, vulnerability is really the way we transcend. It's the gateway, right? By, um, by, by going through this gateway of vulnerability, by being willing to open myself up for that risk, for that possible pain, for that possible hurt, to experience and feel that shame, that's how I transcend. That's how I heal. That's how I raise my emotional state. That's how I raise my vibrational state. That's how I attract higher quality relationships into my life. Okay, so I hope that answers that question. It's a great question. Thank you for sending it in. Okay, somebody asked about the book I was speaking about. I'll just show it here. This is actually the book Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. And um, yeah, someone asked who the author was. The author is Brene Brown, and this is the book Daring Greatly. Um, and thank you for asking. Okay, uh, Reds40 asks, what if you do not know what the safe space in, inside is to go to? That part made me definitely tear up. Okay, thank you. Great question. Um, you know, I, I remember a, a client of mine that I was working with. She was an amazing woman. And she had been through like 10 plus years of narcissistic abuse. And the, the person that she finally was able to divorce and get away from was now basically doing everything he could to try to destroy her life. Um, so I remember uh, talking to her about this same idea, actually, of creating this safe space inside to go to. And, and I remember, you know, she shared with me at one point is when you first started talking about that, I had no idea what you were saying. And then since we've been working together, I, I found it. Like, I, I found it. I know what it is now. And so what I want to say in response to this question is if when I say find that safe space inside, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it just means you haven't found it yet. And the only reason you haven't found it yet is because there's a lot of fear covering it up. And rather than diving into that fear, exploring that fear, like it requires a lot of courage, right? Most of us, most of us fundamentally believe that our shame is real. If you remember earlier, I talked about having this, this secret stone in the back of our consciousness that is, that is, you know, surrounded by an army and the ego says, never overturn that stone, right? And most of us believe that underneath that stone is all of our shame and that it's very, very real. And when we finally overturn that stone, we see there's nothing underneath it. It was all, it was all a sham. It was all just a, it was all a hype to begin with. It never existed. And, and so that's kind of what I mean by finding the safe place inside is, you know, most of us, when confronted with our shame, when when confronted with our not enoughness, when confronted with our self doubt or whatever it is, most of us assume very automatically, like it's not like we sit around and consciously think about it. There's like an automatic assumption that that is real, that that is true. And so because it is, because for us it's real and it's true, it feels very scary. It feels very terrifying. And so the moment we, the moment we feel that, the moment we experience that, we we try to avoid it. 
And so we spend a lot of our lives running from things. We spend a lot of our lives, you know, whenever we, whenever we would find a, a point where we would confront that, we turn the other way, right? And we go, let me go have a drink. Let me go smoke some pot. Let me go get on a dating app and, and you know, uh, connect with someone. Let me go call a friend and, and, you know, run it with my friend and get validation from them. Or, but, but we turn away from that. And so the, the, the thing, the thing to do really is to, is, is to not turn away from it. And it's, it's very uncomfortable at first. I mean, it's really always uncomfortable. And I have, I have moments of shame in my life now that come up and they're very uncomfortable and very saddening. And I don't always like what I see in those moments, but it's the willingness to be with that. It's the willingness to be with the parts of you that you don't love, right? It's, it's the willingness to let that be there and to hold some safe space for that, right? And, and as you do that, as you practice that, I think meditation is one of the best ways to practice this. Breath work is an amazing way to work with this. Um, journaling is an amazing way to work with this. There's an inner child meditation I recommend to a lot of my clients. And I think that um, the, the, the mechanism is a little bit different, but it touches on a lot of the same things here. So what I want to say is by, by being willing to be with that, you, you find a place underneath it. And that's that safe space inside that I'm talking about. Right. And it's like, it's like tapping into your true essence below all your fear, below all your questioning yourself, below all your doubt, below all your, am I enough stuff? There's just the calm certainty of who you are that is always there. It's always present. And that is, that's what I'm talking about. And so what I would say for anybody who doesn't know what that is or hasn't experienced that develop a meditation practice would be my first recommendation. Um, and then build on that. And there are many ways. I mean, there are all kinds of guided meditations, guided workshops, breath work. I mean, there, there are thousands of, of things out there. So, you know, um, I don't, I, I would say do your own exploration, find how to work with this. Um, I'm going to take one more question and then I'm going to close it out for today. So it says here, how do you know you are ready for a new relationship after a breakup? Hard to open up and be vulnerable. Well, I, I mean, I think that depends a lot on, so the question is, how, how do you know you're ready for a new relationship after a breakup? It's hard to open up and be vulnerable. I think that that depends a lot on what the relationship was, how long it was, the, the depth of it. You know, if it was a 10-year relationship, it's a little bit different than um, a two-year relationship. Also, it depends on where you are. A lot of relationships end before they officially end, and then by the time it actually ends, you're already ready. So it depends a lot on the, on the you know, details and the circumstances of the situation. 
But what I want to say is this, is trust, trust yourself. You know, if you're feeling like dating or meeting people is just too much right now and you just can't handle it, then honor that and spend some time with yourself. Spend some time going inside. Try to find that safe place inside that we were talking about and spend some time there. You know, spend time with friends and people you love. Um, Spend time engaging in activities you love. Let some healing occur. And in a very natural way, you might feel like, you know what? I want to try to date. And it also might not be like so black and white, like I wasn't ready and now I am. You might not feel ready and then feel ready and then not feel ready again and then feel ready again. And you might go back and forth with it. And I think the the thing is, is to, you know, our egos want a formula for everything. Our egos want, um, our egos want an answer, you know, give me a formula, give me an answer. And what that really is, and I'm not calling anybody lazy, but, but that is like emotional laziness, right? Because that's not living. That's putting everything into a, a clearly defined box that's controllable. And when we do that, we're actually not being alive. We're, we're being the walking dead. And so what we do is we be present to ourselves moment to moment, day to day. You know, if I, if I feel like dating, if I feel like, uh, if I feel like going out and meeting people and doing that, then I do it. And if I don't feel like it, then I don't. And maybe sometimes I don't feel like it, but I, but I do feel something like, you know what, I, I need to do this. I need to challenge myself to get out there. And so maybe I trust that sometimes, right? But it's, it's about really tuning into yourself and, and finding what is real and true for you. And honoring that. I, I think that is the most important thing. And, you know, there's not, there's not an answer for every situation in life. You know, the same, the same things that some people in certain situations would say are absolutely wrong and never do it in a different situation, that thing would make sense. And so I, I don't think there are any clear answers in life. But what I think there is, is tuning into our own intuitive wisdom listening to our bodies, listening to our emotions, you know, learning to distinguish the difference between egoic thought and higher thought and, and learning to, you know, recognize, okay, I have my noisy ego, but then I have my intuitive, deep, clear sense of what is right for me and wrong for me. And it's not right and wrong, like absolute for all time. It's like for now, for today. And the way to really live and to really be alive is to be constantly tuned into that. So to answer the question, you know, how do you know when it's time to start dating again? Tune into yourself. And, you know, you say it's hard to open up and be vulnerable. Well, I know that's, that's the point, right? Vulnerability is always hard. Why? Because it forces us to confront our shame. It forces us to confront our fear. It forces us to come face to face with all the things that we fear most about ourselves are actually true.
right? I said earlier that our biggest fears as human beings is that we don't matter, we don't mean anything, that our life is gonna pass, pass us by and we will never be loved or never mean anything to anyone. And, you know, vulnerability forces us to confront those fears head on. And there's almost no place in life, there's no area of life that you can, there's almost no area of life that you will be forced to confront that more than in dating. And then as you, as you get into a long-term relationship and you explore deeper and deeper levels of vulnerability within that relationship. Um, and in my, in my experience, there's really no end. Like, and it's like, you know, one level when you're dating and then one level when you live together and then another level when you get married and then another level when you have kids and, you know, God forbid you experience life challenges like we did with my wife going through cancer. Like those things take it to a whole other level. And it's, there's really, there's really no end. But at every stage of the game, the next level of vulnerability is going to be very, very uncomfortable. And it's always calling us into more healing. That next level of vulnerability is inviting you to confront that next level of shame, to turn over that next rock and realize that underneath it, there's also nothing there. And yeah, like, like I said, I don't know if it ever ends. It hasn't ended for me. I'll put it that way, right? So, um, Okay, I see some of you sending some comments and sending some love. Thank you. That's all the time I have for questions today. So this is the Conscious Love Show podcast. It's available on all major platforms. Um, so yeah, uh, check it out. Subscribe. I would love it if you'd leave a review on any platform that allows you to leave a review. Uh, give us a star rating if, if you can give a star rating. You know, just let people know what you think of us. I, I would really... I'd really love the more people who share their experience of this and, you know, whether it's good or bad, I don't care. Just share what's honest and share what's real. Um, and, and thank you. I, I'd really love for you to do that. Uh, thanks for being with me. So new episodes are every Tuesday. We stream live on Instagram um, and uh, sending everybody love in your journey as you, as you move forward. Thanks for being with me today. Great questions, uh, great shares, and sending so much love. We'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you'd leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, at The Living Relationship, to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love.